Welcome to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ, located in the Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman, and these podcasts are taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. We pray that they will bless you, and we would love for you to come visit us and make our church home, hopefully, become your church home. Here's what we have for today. So we continue our look through some of the words of Jesus in the Gospels doing this sermon series I've titled uh, The Hard Sayings of Jesus, and this is the sixth part in the series. And today we're going to talk about Jesus's words, as we heard read here in the Gospel of Mark, about the unforgivable, about the unforgivable sin. So working in the ministry and uh, even some of the hospital work I, I was doing, one of the things that I see over and over again is strained relationships between family members. There are many families out there who have incredibly broken relationships, and many of those relationships will never be repaired or healed. And sometimes what causes breaks in relationships looks like really mundane stuff. And it usually is. But what happens is this mundane stuff, this banal stuff, it, it kicks up repressed or just undealt with emotions. And it's my opinion that barring some sort of like serious trauma, that most of these relationships have the potential to be repaired. And sometimes they are, but oftentimes it takes, it takes a, a severe event, like somebody being on their, beth, their deathbed. And even then sometimes, brothers and sisters, fractures will and can still divide. And I think what keeps relationships from being repaired is pride, particularly pride-driven stubbornness. Healing is possible, but only if one of the parties makes a move, and that move is reciprocated. Wrongs and sins will be and can be left unforgiven. Also think about this, too. Even when forgiveness has been extended and received, sometimes there's a battle that we go through. Eh, Did I really forgive that person? If I've wronged them, have they really forgiven me? How do I know that when they said, hey, it's cool, or it's all right, I forgive you, or it's okay. That's the one I use. I'm like, it's okay. And the person says, well, it's not okay because I did this. What if they really didn't forgive you? What if they, uh, what if they didn't mean it? Is what I did so wrong that they will one day rescind that forgiveness that they've extended to me? This plays out in many ways, brothers and sisters. And I was reminded of the German reformer, Martin Luther. And before his break from Rome, he was an Augustinian monk. And he had this crippling sense of his own sinfulness, this crippling sense of guilt before God. And he would often leave the confessional. He would come to confessional, like, and he would confess all of his sins. And then he would get out of his confessional, and he would leave. And then he would have a thought, and he'd be like, oh, well, was that a sin? And he would turn around and go back to the confessional right, to, to get absolved, because he had this crippling sense of guilt. Because he, he was wondering if he'd done anything that would have imperiled his soul. Can we, brothers and sisters, do anything, commit any sin that would make God rescind his free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ based on things that we've done, sins that we've committed? Today's hard saying of Jesus deals with what's been called the unforgivable sin. So we're kind of going to take a look at this today. So we heard in the reading, Jesus is confronting uh, the Pharisees and he has a little back and forth with them. 
Now, your mileage may vary, brothers and sisters, but I heard about the unforgivable sin because I moved and grew for many years in the Pentecostal and charismatic worlds. And for a long time, I heard this would come up again and again because of the link in this passage between blaspheming the Holy Spirit and this unforgettable sin. And it was often understood as meaning don't make fun of or don't make light of what you're seeing the Spirit do here, even if what the Spirit was doing was outlandish or appeared outlandish, you know? You better not say anything or else you're going to blaspheme and then you've got to be careful or else you'll be in trouble. You'll be in trouble. But that rested, brothers and sisters, on the assumption that what was happening in those services was in fact a genuine work of the Spirit or if it was human emotionalism running rampant. But it serves as a powerful method of stifling legitimate questions about what was going on about those services. And brothers and sisters, this sometimes has led people to say that all religion is control, that all religion is bad, and religion is just a control scheme to get people to do what you think that they need to do. And religion has been used that way, brothers and sisters. It has been used to control. But true religion liberates. True religion sets us free. It does not, it's not used to put us under control. I think fortunately for us, though, this is not what this text is talking about. And we need to dig a little bit deeper and get some context to help us do the hard work of understanding, interpreting, and applying. So at the beginning of this chapter, Jesus, Jesus he performs this miracle in the synagogue, right? At the beginning of, of chapter 3. And he heals a man with a withered hand. And this really makes the leaders angry. So much so that it says they wanted to destroy him. Now you have to, you have to keep this in your mind as we go through the rest of what we're going to be dealing with this morning. Is you have... They don't believe it. They don't know it. But you have the Son of God, right? Coming in the vein of like an Old Testament prophet. Coming to a place of worship. And during worship, seeing a person who has been physically deformed and heals that deformity. How hard does, you, how, how hard does your insides have to be, right? How, how stony does your heart have to be to resist a very good and clear and obvious work of God, and then to use that to, to, to plan against destroying the person who performed that miracle. And then after this, he moves to the sea, and crowds are following him, and it says that he healed many diseases, and he cast out many demons. And notice, as he's casting out evil spirits as part of his ministry, this is a big thing that he does, particularly in the Gospel of Mark. And then he gives his 12 disciples the power to do the same thing. He sends them out. You preach, preach, cast out the demons, heal the sick. And they go and they do. Then the scribes come down from the city to see what's going on down here. They see all of this happening. And they, they, they say Jesus is casting out all of these evil spirits through Beelzebub. Now, Beelzebub means Lord of the Flies, most likely. And according to the Dictionary of Deities and Demons in the Bible, in the ancient Near East, he was sometimes invoked to drive away demons of disease. So we have to put ourselves back into the ancient Near East a little bit to kind of get a little bit of context for what was going on. So at that time, it was believed that human, like sickness, right? Sickness and disease was brought about by evil spirits. Right? So one of the ways that you would seek to get rid of disease would be to you know, go to a temple or something and make a sacrifice, make an offering, and invoke a deity to drive out those spirit of diseases. This is very common in the ancient world. 
But what Jesus is doing here is something very, very different. And Beelzebub would be seen by the, by, by the God, by, by the people of Israel as an evil spirit because Yahweh is the God of Israel and over all the earth. And Beelzebub would be a negative figure, obviously, because they call him the prince of demons. So they're saying Jesus' power to heal is coming from a source of evil, not from God. So Jesus answers this by using an example of a household, right? So a household, we all know what that is, right? It's a place where family live and work together, generally a place of safety and peace and cooperation. So I'm married, I have a child, I work here at the church, and Shantae, she also works as well. If I said to her one day, my babe, I'm moving to Alaska, and I'm going to become a crab fisherman because I saw it on TV, and it looks like a lot of fun. It's really dangerous. I want to get that adrenaline rush. I'm going to go be a, a crab fisherman in Alaska. What do you think she would say to me? <laughs> well, I would hope that she wouldn't respond immediately with the D word, but I would hopefully say she would say, you're crazy. No, we're not. No, you're not. But if she responded, that's funny because I accepted a job in Montreal and I'm leaving tomorrow. That would mean that our household is at odds with one another. There's no agreement. There's no cooperation. We would be fighting across purposes. And that's Jesus' point here. It doesn't make sense for the devil to disrupt his own household of evil spirits by giving Jesus the power to cast them out. Because Jesus' work of casting out evil is the exact opposite of the work we see this evil spirits doing. When we look at the Gospels, they're causing people to be deathly ill. They're causing children to throw themselves into the fire. And in Mark chapter 5, one of my most favorite stories in the entire Bible is the story of the, the demoniac at Gadara, where he is possessed by a legion of demons and he's crying and he's cutting himself with stones in the tomb and people try to bind him and he's able to break the change. No one can subdue him. And then Jesus comes on the scene. And what does he do? The one who cannot be subdued, Jesus heals, not with chains, but with, with, with love, with power and with the word. So Jesus, wherever he goes and he encounters them, he casts them out, he destroys their power. And we have to remember in the Gospel of John, Jesus points out to us that the thief has come to steal, to kill and destroy, but Christ has come to give us abundant life. So we should also point out something here about the beginning of Jesus' ministry. When Jesus first explodes on the scene in the Gospels, what happens to him at the very beginning of his ministry? He goes to the Jordan River and he gets baptized by St. John. And when he's baptized, what happens? In the Gospel of Mark says, the sky is torn open, right? Not like the heavens opened, right? Like the clouds parted, you know? And, and then this beautiful little dove descended. But in, in, in the Gospel of Mark, the word there is Horn, like you would take something and the Holy Spirit descends upon him and the father speaks and says this is my son in whom I am well pleased right so Jesus is clearly given his mission from God the father himself and the Holy Spirit is empowering him as he empowered the prophets of old and John even says Jesus is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit is moving and flowing through the works of Jesus, not Beelzebub. 
And the problem is, is these, these religious leaders are so cold to the good news and to the good works of Jesus that even in the presence of Jesus, seeing Jesus heal, seeing Jesus bring deliverance through the power of the God they claim to serve, they reject him and they seek to destroy him. Because in spite of the goodness of God, they, like their fathers before them, do not believe and have become blinded to the presence of God in their own midst. It's in this light then that Jesus makes the remark, truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, or whatever, whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. So does this mean then that once God has granted salvation and justification to someone, that they by blaspheming can lose that? No, I don't think so. I think the way to understand this is by looking at their attitude, their response to Jesus. They denied his work and that his power was good and was from God. And they placed themselves outside of that forgiveness and indeed would not even think of trying to seek it because that is what unbelief does, even in the face of very real signs of God's mercy. You know, the hymn that we just sang talked about the signs of grace that we have, that that we see in church, and it talked about the pulpit, and it talked about the font, and it talked about the table. And the table here, brothers and sisters, is a sign of God's goodness, of God's love. It is a real reminder of God's mercy for us. And even in the midst of this, some of us may still approach this table in unbelief. There's a scholar I like named Maloney, he wrote, to suggest that Jesus' authority over demons comes from the prince of all evil spirits is to deny the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. This is the eternal sin. When the presence of the Spirit of God in Jesus is denied, how can God forgive? It is unforgivable to claim that the Holy Spirit is an unclean spirit because those making such a claim place themselves outside of the domain of the all-forgiving God. So I think it's safe to say, brothers and sisters, that this passage can't be used to justify the idea that there's like this one sin. And if you do it, there's the check mark, boom. And you're a damn buddy. You better not. No, 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 no. Check that little box. That's your one-way ticket to eternal perdition. No. The consequence of this sin can and does lead to eternal perdition if when people are confronted with the beauty and love of Christ, choose to turn away from that love and that healing that Christ offers. And those who commit this sin are blinded to the work of God and refused over and over and over again to reject Christ. And this is what, this is what sin does to us, brothers and sisters, is that it, it blinds us. It makes us unable to see our unbelief. And when we are confronted by the very presence of God in our midst, the very good, loving, healing work that God is doing in all of our hearts, Sometimes people will look at that and say, I want to be a part of that. And sometimes people will look at that and they'll say, no, no. And this can be a lifelong process of constant turning away, turning away, turning away. Those who commit this sin are blinded to the work of God and refused over and over again to reject Christ. And that choice to reject them will lead inexorably to eternal life forever separated from the source of all that is good, all that is love, all that is beauty, all that is freedom, and all that is unending union with the creator of all things who made us for union with himself. The good news is that such decisions right now are not final or fatal. 
until we pass from this life. Therefore, we pray for and we work for the salvation of all. And we help those outside of Christ in darkness to hopefully see the light, that the Holy Spirit that we have been given shines through us so they can see the work of Christ for their salvation and turn and receive the love that is freely offered. And so to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, be all glory and honor and power together with the Father who is from everlasting and is all holy, good, and life-giving spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. We pray that these sermons have been a blessing to you, and we ask that you would help us out if you could. We are in desperate need of some major repairs. If you could go to a GoFundMe we've set up, gofundme.com slash save Zion Stone. If you could uh, go there and uh, donate towards uh, our needs, we would be greatly appreciative of that. Again, thank you so much for listening. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman. If you want to get a hold of me, you can reach out at malandsman at gmail.com or check us out on our Facebook page, Zionstone UCC, as well as our uh, website, zionstoneucc.com. God bless.